Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, I'd like to wish all of you fathers a happy Father's Day and um, all of us who are fathers, I uh, pray that we would look to the Lord for the strength to continue to um, minister into the lives of our children and help to, uh, help to steer them in the right direction to serve the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and uh, to love Him and uh, be the type of people that God has called them to be. And so, fathers, thank you for the work that you do in the life of your children and continue to look to the Lord for uh, the strength you need uh, to continue to do that. Well, as we look into the Bible today, the chapter that we're looking at today really deals a lot with excited crowds. And so I'd like to start out just by thinking about what it's like to be in an excited crowd. And uh, most of us have been in an excited crowd at some point or another in our life. You can think, uh, you know, you're perhaps at a football game and uh, you're there rooting for the home team and, and uh, they're behind, but with just a few seconds left on the clock, they, they score that game-winning touchdown. And the crowd is very, very excited. It just explodes. Or um, I've never actually been there, but if you uh, see a political rally on television, um, you know, they're nominating their candidate and, and they, they nominate whoever they think is going to be the next president and they have a great big celebration. The crowd goes wild. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you're at a concert and the, you know, they've had some other performers come to kind of warm things up, but then the big top performer of the night comes out for the concert and the crowd really goes wild. And uh, of course, not all excited crowds are positively excited crowds. So maybe you're in an excited crowd where uh, the crowd is excited in a nasty way. You're, you find yourself in a mob. Uh, you are wandering along someplace and this crowd gathers and, and they're shouting and, and screaming and angry and uh, they are picking up rocks and throwing them and, and you're, in a, you're in an excited crowd, but maybe not the t type of excited crowd you'd like to be in, especially if you happen to be the person the excited crowd is angry at. Um, we're going to see these type of excited crowds today. We're going to see crowds that are excited kind of in the rock concert or political rally type of way that, wow, this is great. And we're going to see crowds that are excited in the we hate you and we want to kill you type of way as we look at the passage of Scripture we're looking at today. And that will be Acts chapter 14. And uh, you can open to that passage in your Bibles. Let's think about where Acts 14 falls into the book of Acts. 
Um, as we come to the book of Acts, we see that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay the penalty uh, for the sins of the world, that everyone who puts their faith in him can be reconciled to God through him. We see that he's risen from the dead on the third day and that he's spent 40 days telling his disciples uh, what's going to be coming up, preparing them for that ministry. And at the conclusion of that, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me. And then that prophecy that he gives, we see that that is fulfilled throughout the book of Acts. And so first in Acts chapter 3, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and it fills the church, and the followers of Jesus Christ have power from the Holy Spirit, and they begin to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And they go out in Jerusalem, and they proclaim the gospel. And then eventually they move out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and they begin moving farther. And last week, Mark talked about how as they were, had come to the book of, or had come to the city of Antioch in Syria, that the people there in Antioch and Syria, the Christians there, um, were praying together, the leaders of the church, and that God had said to them, separate out Barnabas and Paul for the ministry that I've called them to. And so the leaders of the church pray, and the, uh, they send out Barnabas and Paul, and uh, you can probably go to the map up there. We can kind of see some of what Mark shared with us last week. So you'll notice some... Um, Way over here on the right, we have Antioch and Syria, and that's where they start out. And if you follow the green line along the bottom, you can see first they went to Cyprus and proclaimed the gospel there and worked their way across Cyprus. And then they went up to Perga, and then they went up to Antioch in Pisidia, and uh, then they ended up in Iconium. You can see they came over a little bit to uh, the right there. And uh, when we come to Acts chapter 14, then, they have come to Iconium, and we're going to hear about what happens starting in Iconium. But before we actually get into Acts 14, I want you to keep your finger in that passage, and I'd like you to turn over to one other verse, and that is to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. And 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And 1 Timothy is a book that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's telling him how to conduct the services of his church. And uh, in this context, he writes this verse. And one of the things he tells Timothy to do then in the church service is to give attention to reading. And uh, if your translation reads like mine and it just says reading, you can kind of say, well, what is that supposed to be? Does that mean, um, you know, we're supposed to read Shakespeare, um, the cookbook, the newspaper? Well, what exactly are we supposed to be reading? But some of you have a translation because this particular Greek word isn't the normal Greek word just for general reading. It's a very technical Greek word. Um, for example, does anybody have the English Standard Version open before you this morning? No brave volunteers. Oh, there are some. What's the English Standard Version say? 
Okay, it says the public reading of Scripture. This particular Greek word is a technical word. It means the public reading of Scripture. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, uh, as part of your church service, you should give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And so we want to do that as we look at Acts 14. We want to have the public reading of Scripture. Because... um, I hope all of you read the Scripture regularly on your own. I hope you have a reading plan where you systematically read through the Bible every year uh, because there's lots of stuff uh, you're only going to be able to absorb by consistently reading the Bible in private. But as you read the Bible personally and silently, there's things you might miss. Uh, You know, you just kind of get on a roll and get flowing along, and uh, some stuff doesn't sink in as well as when you hear it with your ear when you're reading it out loud to someone else, when someone else is reading it out loud to you. And so we don't just encourage the private reading of Scripture, but we encourage the public reading of Scripture. And uh, not only will we do that this morning, but this evening we have our Interactive Bible Fellowship. You're welcome to join us. Uh, We systematically look at three chapters of Scripture every week, and we read those chapters out loud together talk a little bit about what they mean. And in this way, over the course of seven years, we can publicly, out loud, read the entire Bible as a church family in the Interactive Bible Fellowship. Uh, We happen to be in 2 Samuel right now. If you'd like to join us tonight, Bruce Sabatos will be leading that particular study. But anyway, uh, enough on that. We're in Acts 14, and we want to read the entire chapter of Acts 14. And there's 28 verses in Acts 14. And the public reading of Scripture is a ministry that anyone who can read can participate in. And so I'd like to invite some volunteers to come up and join me on the platform and help me with the public reading of Scripture. I've got 28 verses, so I can have up to 28 volunteers come up and help me right now with the public reading of Scripture. And so what we'll do is uh, we'll line up at this mic, and a volunteer can read verse 1. I'll start out with verse 1 just to get things started. And then the volunteer can go to the back of the line, and whoever is next can read verse 2, and we can keep working our way through until we've come to the end of the chapter. And so, do I have 28 or 27 brave volunteers? Come on up. Um, Come on up. And uh, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. And um, the Bibles we had back there, the print was a little fine. I couldn't read them with my my bifocals. So now we've got large print back there. We've got giant print back there. We've got super giant print back there. Uh, Don't hit anybody with the super giant print. It will kill them. Uh, But but it is there. And you can read it without your bifocals. Uh, And so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I've got a dozen. Anybody else want to join us? Okay, if you want to kind of uh, spread out along here, and uh, I will start out, and I'll read verse 1, and then whoever's going to read verse 2 can step right up here to the mic, read verse 2, then you can move to the end of the line, and we'll keep working our way through until we get through the whole chapter. And so, I'm going to try to get this about average height here. Uh... Acts 14 says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed.
the Jews. With the Jews, other of the apostles. Okay, thank you. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystria and Derby and to the surrounding country. Where they continued to preach the gospel? In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened as Paul spoke, after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. When the crowd saw Paul had, what Paul had done, they shouted in the local... Delicate. These men were gods in human form. Um, the priest, the, the Barnabas, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and they and Paul just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths um, to to the city gates because the. He, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. I lost my first word. Okay, <laughs> we're on fourteen. And when the apostle uh, and when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. Okay, <clears throat> verse fifteen. And. <clears throat> And saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from those vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Where do we, where do we stop? Where do we stop? Oh, just read the verse. Just one verse. Yeah, verse 16. In the past. In the past um, generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet, wait. yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Ant Antioch, Antioch, and Iconium, and Iconium, Iconium. And, and won the crown over the 
Simon Paul and dra dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. They then returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch. Strength strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They passed through Pis Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Persia, then went down to Alta. From Alta, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed, committed to grace of the God's God um, for the work they have now completed. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In verse 28, and they, and they spent a long time with the disciples. Okay, thank you very much, volunteers. I appreciate it. Let's give them a hand. So the public reading of Scripture is important because we need to hear and absorb God's word that God has given us the scripture. He's given us his word so that we can know what he wants us to know, so we can do what he wants us to do. And so we come to Acts 14, as we've just read, and in verse 1, we can notice that as Paul and Barnabas are preaching the word of God in Iconium, that a large number of Jews and Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. And although that happens in verses 2 to 6, we can see that not only are a lot of people receiving the gospel, but a lot of people are rejecting the gospel. A lot of people get really, really upset in verses 2 through 6. And they are so upset that they want to kill Paul and Barnabas. And so it becomes necessary for Paul and Barnabas to move on from Iconium. And so in verse 7, they move on to the city of Lystra, and they preach the gospel there. And in Lystra, something really, really remarkable happens. Because by God's power in Lystra, Paul heals a lame man. And so this man was lame from birth. He has never in his life taken a single step. 
And suddenly, by God's power, he is able to leap up and he is able to begin walking around and all the people around who recognize this guy, they've known him for years, they know he cannot walk, and now he's walking because of this miracle that God has done through the Apostle Paul. And so, this brings us to the first crowd scene. And in this particular crowd scene, Paul and Barnabas are receiving the rock star treatment. And so everybody is singing their praises and they're all excited and uh, they are treating them like gods because they think they are gods. And of course, for a lot of people, this would be like a dream come true. It's like, wow, public adulation. How wonderful. This is great. I just love it. I'm finally getting the attention that I've craved all of my life. But Paul and Barnabas realized something very important, and that is there is only one true and living God, and uh, he is in us. And so we don't want to take the praise and honor and glory that belongs to him alone. And so they react like every good Jew ought to react when a situation like that is taking place. They tear their clothes because that's what a good Jew does when he hears blasphemy, when he hears someone else receiving the glory that belongs to God alone, he tears his clothes. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they tear their clothes and they start telling the people about the one true and living God. They say, no, 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 don't talk about us. Uh, don't think about these false gods that have been in your religion in the past and Apollo and Hermes and all these other gods. Uh, don't think about them. You want to think about the true and living God. What makes him different from all these other gods is he's the one who truly created the heavens and the earth, and he's the one who gives us all the good things we receive. None of us would be alive without the true and living God. Every meal that we have ever eaten, every cup of water that we have ever drunk, every breath that we have ever taken is because of God's gracious provision on our behalf and none of us could survive without him. Elsewhere, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And so they tell about the one true God, and as a result, they're able to calm down the crowd and uh, turn their attention away from offering a false sacrifice to them that they don't deserve because they're not God, to turn the attention of people to the true and living God. But that brings us to the second crowd scene that I talked about, because over the course of time, enemies from other towns, because a lot of other places, Paul and Barnabas have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people there haven't liked it, and so Paul and Barnabas have had to move on, and uh, the people haven't been contented to say, okay, we got rid of Paul and Barnabas. They said, oh, they're preaching somewhere else. Let's go follow them there and make trouble for them there. And so enemies from other cities gathered in Lystra, and they started talking about how awful Paul and Barnabas were. And, and over the course of time, they managed to get people so angry at Paul and Barnabas that they were able to gather a mob. And they gathered that mob, and that mob came, and they hunted down Paul, and they gathered around him, and they picked up stones, and they started throwing stones at Paul. And they kept throwing stones at him until they thought he was dead. There he was, laying on the ground, unconscious, bleeding, uh, couldn't see many vital signs that looked like he was done for. Say, okay, we think we managed to kill this guy. And then they took his body and they dragged it and they threw it outside of town, probably on the garbage dump. And so Paul's laying outside of town on the garbage dump and the disciples gather together around him 
and Paul stands up. God has graciously preserved Paul's life so that in spite of the fact that people had tried to kill him, Paul was able to stand up. He was able to return the city. The next day, he was able to leave for the following town, uh, Derby. But I've got a question. Even though Paul didn't die, did the stones hurt? Yeah, the stones still hurt. It hurt really, really bad. I mean, how many people have ever been hit by a stone? Okay, can you imagine being hit by enough stones from an angry mob and they're not throwing little pebbles, you know, they're taking head size, bowling ball size stones and throwing them down on you as hard as they can because they're trying to kill you? They're not just being mean, they're being killers. And this mob had done this to Paul. They had thrown enough stones at them that they thought they had him good and dead. And as long as he was conscious, those stones had to hurt. And uh, even though he survived, you wonder, how many bumps and bruises did he still have? How did his trip to Derby go as he's walking along? It's like, oh, they got one on the hip there. That hurts, and man, do I have a horrible headache, and, and my shoulder is really bruised up. Um, in spite of the fact that Paul lived, that God preserved his life in this case, Paul suffered a lot of pain. This really hurt. Now, this is important because there are people that will try to tell you, you know, if you only have faith in God, everything's going to go well for you. Uh, you. If you have enough faith in God, you'll never be sick. I'm not saying this. Don't quote me, okay? I'm not saying this. Someone else is saying this. I'm quoting someone else. If you have enough faith in God, you'll never be sick. And if, if you have enough faith in God, you're going to be rich. And if you have enough faith in God, everything's just going to be wonderful for you. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, no, no, that's not true. You can have a lot of faith in God. You can do exactly what God wants you to do. And you can have horribly painful and unpleasant things happen to you. You can be stoned and left for dead. So in verse 22, before uh, Paul heads out to the next city, When he went back, he uh, exhorted them to continue in the faith, and he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And uh, when he's talking about tribulations here, he's talking about trials. He's talking about hard times. We must enter the kingdom of God through many hard times. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be pleasant. Uh, we're not always going to be healthy. Uh, we're not always going to be surrounded by happiness. Things aren't always going to go right for us. Through many hardships, we are going to enter the kingdom of God. We might be mocked. We might be sick. We might lose our job. We might have all kinds of bad things happen to us. But in the midst of all that, we need to continue to look for the kingdom of God. I'd like you to keep your finger in Acts 14 again and turn to 2 Corinthians 4.17.
In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So Paul says, you're going to have troubles, but those troubles are nothing compared with the good things that God has in store for you. And as we think about, uh, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, what was the light affliction, which is but for a moment like, for the Apostle Paul? And for that, I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. This is Paul's experience of light affliction, which is but for a moment. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We just read about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. And so those are what Paul calls light and temporary afflictions. I've never been flogged like the Apostle Paul was. I've never been beaten with rods. I've never been stoned. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been cast adrift on the sea. I've never faced starvation. All those things happened to the Apostle Paul. But we know that even if all of those things happen to us, even if worse things happen to us, that the day will never come when we are in God's kingdom that we will look back and say, oh man, did I get a bad deal? I mean, you know, I suffered all those things and the kingdom just isn't good enough. Um, it just, you know, the, that stuff just outweighs what we're experiencing in the kingdom. The glories, the blessings, the eternal wonderful things that God has prepared for us. The day will never come when we'll look back and say, I got a bad deal. We will look back no matter what happens, no matter how bad life is, no matter how hard the hard times are, we will look back and we will say, oh, it was worth it. It was so worth it. It was worth it. I am happy with the way things came out. I am fully satisfied with what God has done for me because our light and temporary afflictions, which are but for a moment, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so... Two crowd scenes, uh, receiving glory and refusing it. No, this glory belongs to God alone. Receiving hardship and saying, we continue to focus on the kingdom of God, that there is no hardship that is so bad that it can be worse, that it can be so bad that it won't be worth what God has in store for us.
And finally, in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 25, we see that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Derby, and then they began to retrace their steps. And so we can see that uh, they came to Iconium, they went down to Lystra, they went over to Derby, and then they turned around and went back to Lystra and up to Iconium and back to Antioch and Pisidia. They just retraced their steps until they came all the way back to Antioch in Syria. And in verses 26 to 28, as they return to Antioch in Syria, they report to their sending church there. And so this is Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. As they are fulfilling God's prophecy that Jesus' prophecy, you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and onto the uttermost parts of the earth, they're beginning to reach out to the uttermost parts of the earth. A prophecy that continues today as our church, like the church in Antioch, and other churches around the world send out missionaries to bear witness to Jesus Christ so that those who do not yet know him can believe. Something that in the course of time may involve people joyously receiving the gospel and something that in the course of time may involve rejection and hardship and suffering. And so, in conclusion, what do we do about the crowds that we run into in our life? What do we do about the crowds that are singing our praises? When people are singing our praises, we want to point them to the true and living God. And so I am grateful for those people who, uh, during moments of adulation uh, from the public and everybody saying good things about them, they're able to say, um, I praise God that he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. He is the one who is worthy. And then what do we do with the crowds that don't like us? And like Paul and Barnabas, God calls us to courage even when there are crowds of people that don't like what we're doing, even when they hate us, even if they're trying to kill us, that we continue to boldly declare the good news about Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things that have been written for our instruction, that we can see how you've worked in the lives of other people, and that that can serve to encourage us, to give us inspiration, to help us in our times of trial, that when we're facing hardship, that we, we don't say, wow, this is something surprising and unexpected, but that we know that uh, you are able to walk with us through those trials and that, Lord, you have something so wonderful planned for us on the other side of those trials that by comparison we'll look back and say, hey, that was nothing. It was so worth it, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant us courage in times of trial to be bold witnesses, that you would grant us courage in times of praise to give glory to your name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.